and welcome to the GemCast. I'm your host, Alex Knight, and this is episode 6. Today, I'm joined by Elaine Sims, founder of the Less Than or Equal podcast, and science fiction writer Kay Tempest Bradford. In episode 6, Starbright, part 1, Falling Star, it's time for Gem and the Holograms to begin shooting Starbright, the movie that was part of their Battle of the Bands winnings. Pizzazz has some nasty surprises in store for them. Her father has bought the movie studio that produces Starbright. The Misfits are the new co-stars, and Eric Raymond is running the studio. Gem and the Holograms are determined not to lose their movie to their arch-rivals, but tempers quickly heat up as production gets underway. Meanwhile, Jerrica learns that one of her starlight girls, Ba Nee, may be having trouble with her eyes. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode. Episode 6. This is a two-parter, and this is the first episode after the five-part miniseries. Um, it's, it's interesting because they made some significant design changes in the characters here uh, to more align with the design of the toys. Um, so I picked out a few things that I, I found were really, really interesting and things that I actually didn't really notice. Um, so apparently Jem's pink belt has become white, which seems like, I guess it's a minor detail. Um, but uh, there are a bunch of other things for, uh, for the holograms as well as the misfits as well. Um, like, uh, pizzazz no longer has a black stripe on her collar and skirt, and she no longer has a black sash on her right knee, and her sock has switched legs. Seems like kind of arbitrary. Let's let's put it on the other leg. It looks better. That is arbitrary, but hilarious at the same time. I wonder if if like they painted a cell backwards at one point or something. They're like, yeah, let's just go with it. Yeah, maybe. There are certainly a lot of animation mistakes in this series. That's for sure. <laughs> Would not surprise me at all. Uh, and actually, the the biggest change is Lindsay. Um, so the first time um, we see her, I guess through the first few episodes, um, she's gone from the jacket and pants outfit to an orange and green one. Uh, her hair has changed from being choppy to being permed. So that was I, I pretty substantial considering that she's really a minor character. It's not even like she's in most of the episodes anyway. So, but I think that that perm hairstyle is easier mm -hmm. to draw. Mm. I would think. I mean, and it also I think it looks better. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But that yeah. orange man, that orange is not okay. <laughs> Why don't we dive in? So, um, in the first act, uh, struggling once again between her dual identities at Howard Sands's party, uh, the Countess summons Jem to the hologram's dressing room to check out the amazing new outfits made for her and the band. And uh, mingling at the party with the guests, Rio comments on how amazing Jem looks. I wonder if that's going to get him into trouble late, later on. A random person asks Jem if she knows where Jerrica is. And of course, Rio doesn't seem too happy that um, she's kind of off to a quick departure and she's got to do the little switcheroo again. And she does that a lot in yeah. this episode. And they kind of actually bring that up a little bit later on. 
Um, and I just picked out this one quote I thought was <laughs> really, really funny. But uh, Rio says to Jem, you look so hot, you'll melt the cameras. <laughs> My God, Rio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, there's more of that kind of stuff I, I, later on in this. I episode. made note of that one too, and all I have is like, ha ha ha, because mm-hmm. I was just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds oh, like dear. something my husband would say to me is like an intentionally bad, like yeah, it's a, it's one of those like kind of, facepalm like embarrassing come on lines like you just wouldn't expect anyone to say something like that in seriousness yeah yeah but it but he 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 meant it Ugh. oh yeah yeah he did <laughs> we'll, we'll uh get to see what uh what some of the consequences are of uh talking about gem like that a little bit later on i have some some interesting thoughts about that but uh so it cuts to the starlight house and one of the orphans bonnie which i keep wanting to say like um bonnie it sounds like bonnie and i thought that was her name for the longest time until i actually looked it up and realized it was two separate words and it's bonnie that's how they say it throughout the episode yeah yeah that's that's true that's true i don't know for whatever reason i kept thinking no that's what i have in my notes too is is bonnie because i was like it it's it it seemed like they were putting a little bit more emphasis on what I thought was the second syllable. And, and so I was like, well, maybe not, but yeah. Is that like just gems way of kind of her weird? Yeah. Cause they have some, there or? are a couple of odd speech patterns that I've noticed and I was like, well, okay. Um, but yeah, I was surprised too. Yeah, for sure. And there are later episodes with Bonnie cause she's a, you know, recurring character, but it just seems like um, there are moments where the line read is not quite consistent. Like sometimes there's the the extended um, emphasis on the second syllable, like you said, but other times she says it really quickly and it almost sounds like Bonnie. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it's a small, small complaint, really. There are much larger things to complain about <laughs> in this show that we can that we can do, I'm sure. But uh, so back at the Starlight House, we see Bonnie sitting very uncomfortably close to the television set, which I I, I really found this amusing. But the the TV um, is set to a gem music video, which is like a dream from a previous <laughs> episode. So nice, very that's nice. All they do they just sit around watching gem videos all day. Yeah, that that that's there's nothing else. It's like one channel. That's all they're allowed to watch is. You know, they're, they're being indoctr- indoctrinated. <laughs> um, well, m- so Mrs. Bailey um, chats up with Jerrica and voices her concern about uh, Bonnie's vision, naturally, because, I mean, what kid should be sitting that close to the TV? Right. And I know a lot of kids sit close to a TV, at least they used to when the TV sets were really, small. really small. And I remember my parents um, getting annoyed with me for sitting so close to the TV back then, but... I guess less of an issue now with when you have like giant HTTVs, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't really, you could never sit that close. It just would never be that comfortable. Well, and if most families are like us, you know, we have ours mounted on a wall and yeah. but like my TV growing up, right. we had a 13 inch television set. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I, I think there there's a, certainly a valid reason for not sitting that close because back in the 80s when you had these giant cathode ray tube television sets, they really were not that great on your eyes. Like you get a lot of fatigue and staring at that tube screen for that long is, is kind of an issue. It's, it's obviously, it's much less of an issue now on it, you know, LCD TVs and, yeah. and whatnot. See, that's what I thought originally when I watched this episode where they were going with the whole thing with Bonnie losing her eyesight because she was, she was being ruined by televisions. Like, Hey kids, don't watch too much television. <laughs> it will ruin your mm-hmm. eyes. But then they were like, no, it's, it's not that. I thought, that's what, I thought that's where they were going with that. Oh, well. Yeah, I mean, it it could have been. Yeah. It could have been for sure. I can see that. My, it, sounds, it sounds reasonable. My big question for that scene was, why is Mrs. Bailey talking to Jerrica about this in the middle of a party? Like, can't that wait till tomorrow? Uh, yeah, it does seem kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Then then we wouldn't have Jerrica switching back and forth between Jem and Jerrica. Jerrica and Jem. <laughs> There's all these things that everybody has to take care of and watch and look at. Right. Yeah, I mean, at least Mrs. Bailey suggests that uh, that you know Bonnie goes to see an ophthalmologist. So Jerrica says that she'll she'll be the one to take her to the appointment, which is which is nice of her, of course. Um, but right at that moment, uh, Shayna and her boyfriend Anthony Julian walk in and ask to speak with Jerrica, of course. So Gemma's or uh, other way, sorry. Yeah. She's got to speak with Jem. It's the other way around. See, right? it's happening so many times. I'm totally confused. <laughs> I don't talk with Jem. You have to talk to Jerrica. Oh my God, this, that, the other thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she goes to to do the little switcheroo once again, enters the, the hidden room where Synergy is stored. And uh, the first thing Jerrica says to Synergy is that she's concerned about her power levels as she has been changing so often. But Synergy quells Jerrica's concerns and mentions that she can project up to 600 holographic images per minute without power loss, Um, which I found interesting. Now, that's a very specific technical (laughs) piece of information. I don't remember getting that that again. I I guess they just say it in this one episode, kind of hope that people would remember that but it, it's kind of nice to actually get that technical information for once because we've talked about it before in past episodes what are the limitations of synergies you know computational you know abilities and and so this is kind of just like the tip of the iceberg but i i hope we get more of that kind of information as as time goes if on synergy can project up to 600 holographic images per minute why is jerica doing the dance between jim and jerica like why isn't because if, if people try to talk to Jer to Jem and then they put their hand on her shoulder and then she's a hologram, he'd be like, "What is this? Oh my god!" <laughs> Just like you know, people yeah. will try to touch her. That that's true, right? That's the only reason why. <laughs> if only if only Synergy could project solid holograms. <laughs> I I thought it was really kind of silly, but still funny that. Um, you know, after Synergy tell, gives her that information that she, like Jerrica just kind of like pats the, the, the s- computer display and says, um, my father sure knew what he was doing when he built you. <laughs> it's like, Oh, Jerrica. But he did because he built a supercomputer. He did. He did. That fits into a living room. It, yeah. In the eighties. Right. 
And yeah, it just seems like Emmett Benton thought of every little possible aspect and anything that could go wrong. And it almost seems like there are no limitations to Synergy's power. If only he had paid that much attention to the state of his house. Right. Well, the I think the only uh, issue with Synergy is that she can be disabled by tripping over the power cable. Look, sometimes you just have to trip over the power cable <laughs> in order to... <laughs> But Synergy protected herself by making this guy think that he destroyed the computer. So surely that felt solid. Like, I just, I, I feel like this plot is flimsy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I, I gave it some thought about, uh, you know, the whole location issue where, where Synergy is actually being stored and just this is an aside so humor me here but wouldn't it make sense to have synergy stored underground like deep underground like maybe under under the mansion or something like like you know build like um like a you know what would be perfect like an underground missile silo you know those things (laughs) are like essentially bomb shelters they're Mm -hmm. they're designed to to um, protect you against like a you know, nuclear fallout. So it seems to me like the most logical place to store a supercomputer of that magnitude would be underground. And, and actually, we have that today. There are um, uh, there are entire server clusters, I think, in in Sweden or something like that. I remember seeing not too long ago where they were they're all built in uh, underground. And I mean, you can you know we have the technical capabilities of of uh, of sending you know electricity running cables underground and stuff like that so to me like it would have been way smarter to have that computer underground where it's can't it can't be easily found it can't be easily unplugged and it would have you know redundant power capability so that if if for some reason like the power grid had an issue that it, you it would have some kind of backup battery power to at least you know, keep that thing running for a little while. Yeah. Well, Synergy does have a backup battery, but even so, it seems like Emmett <laughs> just, he didn't really think through all of the complications that come with yeah. building a supercomputer that can project 600 mm-hmm. holograms a minute or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, Maybe that was phase two, but, you know, he obviously ended up dying before he could really do anything. But do you think the holographic wavelengths which I assume is like its own special spectrum that we're just not aware of. Do you think that can penetrate through the ground to wherever in the world? That's a great, great question. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Um, We're too far underground. She can't mm, communicate wirelessly. Right. But if it's, yeah, but even if the computer is underground, it's connected to the internet, presumably, right? So could it not just, I would assume it would, you know, Synergy could tap into and make use of satellites and cell phone towers and just, you know, project her signal somehow. I, I don't know. Through, through the existing infrastructure. I think you're assigning too much technical knowledge to Emmett Bennett. In the 80s. <laughs> In the 80s. Well, come on. He did invent this That's computer. True. I mean, it is, it's, it's sentient, right? It's incredibly... Advanced. Maybe that's why we have so many so. cell towers now, is Emmett Bennett's plan... To right. make synergy, to make certain able, that synergy could always he's, reach people, right, laying, right, right. laying the groundwork. Yeah, like he was getting there. <laughs> he just unfortunately right, right, passed right. away before he was able to fully realize the synergy infrastructure, and it went to other purposes. 
Maybe he was the true inventor of the cell phone. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Well, well, let's get back right into it. So, um, so we we're now back at the party um, that Howard Sands hosting, and Shana's boyfriend uh, introduces Vivian Montgomery, aka Video, who is more of a minor character, but we see her later on. And uh, Video expresses interest in producing a documentary about the making of the Hologram's first movie. Naturally, of course, Jem jumps at the chance and ex accepts her offer. But before they can get into discussions about the project, Jem is interrupted by one of the Starlight orphans, Leela. And um, it seems like she has something really important to say to Jem, but she's like, no, we're running out of ice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, really, kid? You took me away from the party to tell me about ice. Get Even out. Even Rio is like, look, they can handle it. And I said, well, clearly they can't because they came to find Jerrica when it was like about ice. Yeah. Ice. Right. Also, why are they always right. fucking yeah, Jerrica? We... Like, there are other people at this party. <laughs> Timber, Shayna, Aja, Mrs. Whatever. Yeah. Like. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Leela was, was actually looking for, uh, for Jerrica in this particular moment. So, of course, she has to switch back again. But one thing I just want to say, why can't Jerrica slash Jim delegate more? Because it seems like she's like a control freak. She wants to she wants to control everything. And Real actually brings this up with her when he pulls her aside on the balcony for a little private moment. Uh, because she's just like really stressed out about the entire situation. Well, she can't delegate because, it, yeah, it is because she's a control freak. But also... I mean, it just seems like she's surrounded by a lot of irresponsible people. <laughs> and so in order to get things done, she has to do them. Where And where are the uh, the servers? Like, didn't they hire people to take care of this stuff? Is it like, is this another situation where we have like something similar to Starlight Music where there's like three people working in this giant building? Or is there just like two people at this giant party? Right. And then all the orphans. Who were all right. like watching music videos five seconds ago, but then they're all in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, look, Jem mentions uh, to Leela that she should get help from Becky. Now, is Becky another orphan? Maybe. Because if she is, like, uh, is she really getting all the orphans to do the work? Like, seriously? Maybe. They've done it before. She's enlisting a child That's army. That's why people have later. kids. Right? It is why people have kids. Why do you think that Starlight House was was created? <laughs> So there could be a tiny, tiny labor force. Right. I mean, this is why families used to be so huge in, you know, 200 years ago is because they needed kids to do all the farm work. So I don't see why it doesn't apply to modern life in mansions. Right. Like, yeah. You grew up in a mansion. You got to be the cooking catering staff. Right. For Howard Sands's party. I mean, it's it, totally plausible to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. Uh, so this is something I have a real problem for what happens next. Um, because when Rio's talking to Jerrica about, you know, yeah, how she has to like let go. She's trying to do everything. Jerrica tells Rio like, you know, yeah, what do you think of, what do you think of Jem or whatever? And Rio's like, yeah, she makes the air sizzle <laughs> like some bright, dazzling dream. If you can find her. Ugh. But you're not like Jim. You know what I love about you, Jerrica? Oh you're so responsible and dependable and comfortable to be with. 
And then Jen says, you make me sound like an old pair of shoes. He's like, I'll kiss you and you'll shut up. Right. Yeah. So look, look, this is once again, my hypo, like my, this is all about my theory about how Rio thinks that he's in a polyamorous relationship with two ladies and he's not cheating on anybody because like Rio's not cheating on anybody. No matter what anybody tells you, people argue with me about this all day, but Rio's not cheating on anybody because he has this conversation with Jericho where he's like going on about how beautiful Jem is. But the, but the problem is, is that Rio has clearly never been in a polyamorous relationship before where you don't like talk about your one girlfriend about how beautiful and sizzling she is. <laughs> To your, Sizzling. to your other yeah, I know that's a key word. Like it's just not something that you should do, it, you know. Yeah, but that's because he does it a lot. He does like if, it a lot. if that's all you do, like every spare moment, you're always talking about the other person and how awesome it is. I mean, and seriously, Jem is totally right to be like upset, saying that you know he's making her sound like an like an old pair of shoes because. because he is. Right. It's really not the best comment to be to make. Say, oh, you're comfortable, dependable. <laughs> after saying the other girl, oh yeah, she's really yeah, hot. She's sizzling. <laughs> no, it's true. Like so, basically, Rio is like failing at poly relationship, like one on one. Yeah. And but well, and I just also I don't get it. I don't get what like how he doesn't understand that the things that he is saying. I mean, maybe it's because he's dude. You know, yeah. he's just being like typical dude. Uh, that's a big part of it. Just, and you're like, oh, Rio, stop. Stop talking. I don't know about you, but in, in you, you guys, y'all in relationships, but like if my husband ever says something that makes me feel like an old pair of shoes and then he tries to kiss me, that's not happening. Yeah, I, like, I would have smacked that dude. Like Jerrica should have punched Christ. him in the face or kicked him in the balls or something. <laughs> It's true. It's true. I agree with that because yeah, it's just, and, but then of course, you know, they have to kiss because then we get to sing a song about who is he kissing. Oh, exactly. Perfect time for a music video, mm-hmm. right? And this is actually one of my favorite songs. Um, really? Yes. Because, well, I mean, I think it's a catchy song, but also it's just, it, it really is like the heart of this whole relationship between Jem and Jerrica and Rio where um, you know that's the question that she's constantly asking herself but she's never asking him you know she's, she doesn't really say to him like who are you really thinking about when you kiss me um, probably because he compared her to a pair of shoes and so, <laughs> you know, but, she knows yeah. Yeah. I found both the lyrics and the content in the video to be very very um What's the best way to say this? Racy for a kids show? Yeah, they talk about oh. sex. But the, I, they do. They do. And it's, I don't know, it's uh, it's it's very graphic, though, at least the lyrics. If you, I mean, I don't know how many kids probably understand it. They probably don't. I guess they're kind of hoping that kids won't understand <laughs> it. But right. it? it just, it's, yeah, it's very, um, it's very racy. I, I think one of, the, one of the most possible. Everywhere race. on television, yeah. so. That's true. Right. Yeah, it's um My note hmm. here. It's very questionable. Yeah. My note here is why does Jerrica get to be angsty here? She created the situation. Like I was I was just bitter right. through the whole video cuz I was just like why are you whining? Like you've, you this is well, your fault. Exactly. And in the in the previous conversation she's like in you know eliciting 
a response from Rio by saying, you know, what do you think about that gem, eh? Mm-hmm. Like, it's your gem. Do you not realize this? <laughs> Mental case. Well, I think that this is one of those things where, you know, probably in the in the idea phase of it, it seemed like a good idea because, you know, obviously it's like the whole like Superman, Clark Kent situation where, you know, gem is like some analog of like superhero fiction where somebody has a secret identity but they're both in love with the same person and blah 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 and but but right like when you take it to its logical conclusion you're like wait a minute like how how neurotic does she have to be in order for her to be upset about her own self and what she's doing which once again you're right she created the situation she didn't have to have gem having a relationship with Rio, she could have just not done that and he would have been perfectly fine with that because he didn't ask for it. So I don't know. But I feel like it had to maybe like it was if it, it feels kind of weird and shoehorned in because it is shoehorned in. Sure. Absolutely. And and she certainly could have told him at that moment when they were having that private conversation that look, I I've got something I, I kinda wanna tell you, which I've been keeping from you she she could have actually told him her true identity or i guess she could have told rio that gem and jerica are the same person but of course that opportunity squandered like usual and there are i think looking back now many moments where she could have probably told him but again as we see this is this is just compounding the problem and it just it's like a, a snowball effect and it's just gradually getting bigger and bigger it seems mm-hmm. But uh, but we'll come back to that because that that is a recurring theme throughout the entire series. Um, and I, I have a question for the for the two of you. So after this music video, we see Rio and uh, Jerica kissing. Now the the kiss ends at the end of the music video. So did, were they kissing through the entire video, or was that just like, or, or or was time not a factor in here? Because if they were kissing that entire time, that seems like such a long, uncomfortable kiss. <laughs> Especially considering that Pizzazz and the Misfits are spying on them through binoculars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now those are some really powerful hey. binoculars because where exactly are they in relation to the Starlight Mansion? I think, I want to say they're less than a mile away. I want to say they're less than a mile away. I don't know much about binoculars. I don't know about their range, but man, those have got to be some powerful binoculars. <laughs> they are, but you know. Hey, look, you have binoculars. They're spying machines. They're there for you to spy on people. So that kiss, it's like, um, oh, which Star Trek movie? Oh, I'm, I'm losing my nerd cred. Um, Picard is on that planet with the pretty lady and they, oh, they have yeah, that that's, um moment in time where everything slows down. That's what that kiss was, only sad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I feel like it, it wasn't that the kiss lasted like the whole time of the music video, just that the music video like paused time in order yeah. to have itself. And then, and then it started time again, because like, it's not like a musical. Cause you know, there are some times when you get the sense that when the music video starts, it's, it's as if you're watching a musical where like people have, have stopped the action in order to sing a song. But sometimes when the music videos happens, it's as if like, you know, somebody yelled cut and then there's a music video happening, but it's not like taking place in the real time of the scene. And this is one of those times where it's like the second thing. 
It's all in Jerrica's head, really. It was Jerrica having a daydream about singing a song about kissing. This entire show is a daydream. (laughs) (laughs) It's all in Jerrica's head. So Pizzazz, in her usual, you know, kind of brat temper tantrum phase, uh, says, I want to be famous. I want my name spoken with awe. I want people to throw themselves at my feet. (laughs) That movie should be mine. Not Jim's. Yeah. So dramatic. She is very dramatic. And also, I, I actually think it's funny that at the beginning of that scene where the, where the misfits are talking, that I think it's Roxy who even says, like, you, this is your mansion. You already have a mansion. Like, why are you worried about their mansion? <laughs> you right. Have yeah, exactly. So, I was like, because I don't want other people to have things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that it's like, it's, it, that's so, such a beautiful elucidation of pizzazz's characters like she already has a mansion but it doesn't matter because nobody else can have a mansion (laughs) yeah exactly she doesn't really think through things like very carefully she's just very emotional and she gets really pissed off about something and that's like she just chooses to focus on one thing like i want to be the best at the expense of you know everybody else around me, that's all I care about is me. And really, she all—it's it, true. She doesn't really—I don't think she really cares about the other members in the band. Oh, no. no, not really. And do you but, think she wants to be the best, or sh- do you think she wants to have it all? I think a little bit of both. But she just—she already considers herself the best. She doesn't need to be the best. She is the best. But now she wants to have mm-hmm. it all because mm-hmm. she's the best. That's a good. Point. And I actually think it was kind of brilliant, you know, that you know once. You know, since this is the first episode after like the movie, and this is really the first episode that, you know, they they have where they knew it was going to be a TV series, not just like a one shot thing. And so bringing that aspect into it of saying, okay, why does Pizzazz act this way? Oh, she's a spoiled rich girl, and not just sort of like your spoiled, you know, middle class quote rich girl, but like an actual literal like millionaire's daughter, spoiled rich girl. Um, because then it, it makes a lot of her behavior make so much sense because, you know, you have that, you know, vision of this girl who's, you know, her father is super distant from her emotionally. And the way that he deals with her is just by giving her whatever, like monetary or material, whatever that she wants, you know, just to keep her happy. And, and I thought that was a really cool thing, but then it does, it does make certain things that happen before that doesn't make any sense. It's like, why does she care about the fact that they have a car and have a mansion. She already has these things. She's kind of an enigma to me. A riddle wrapped in an mm. enigma. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought it was really interesting that um, uh, kind of as an aside that Roxy uh, mentions, like if she had the money, she would just make her own movie, which of course sparks Pizzazz's interest. And of course, it's kind of like that moment where like almost you see like the light bulb turn on in her head and she has that idea. Like, of course I have a wealthy father. I'll just convince him that he should just buy a movie studio. And of course she, she uses her, <laughs> her usual charm on her father. Her, she, you notice that she changes the, the, the pitch of her voice mm-hmm. to kind of be like the innocent sweet daddy. Remember you promised me anything I wanted for my birthday. Well, I want a movie studio. <laughs> and of course her father's like, oh, blah, 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 that's ridiculous. Oh, blah, blah, poor investment. 
You said anything. I want a movie studio. I want to watch you, you just promise. replay these instead of watching the shows themselves. I want I want to have the Alex One Man Gem Show. Oh God! It would be amazing. Are it you would kidding? be really awesome. It would be amazing. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a special edition episode <laughs> that we'll that we'll have to release at some point. Um. I guess maybe you know what that's that's an idea. When we're done with all three seasons of the show, I'll do it all over again, every episode. <laughs> Just me. I will play all the characters. Be a one man show to to admire. Uh, I'm I, honestly, I think I would creep myself out if I was trying to do like a like a thirteen year old girl's voice. <sighs> that just would not work. <laughs> Well, I love, I love Mr. Gabor. He is a treasure. He's a treasure forever because so many things happen in this show because Pizazz is like, but I want it. He's like, okay, just as long as you stop being in my face about stop it. Stop talking like, to me. Yeah. Stop talking to me. What's with his voice though? Uh, it sounds like he's go. He always has. He he stutters a lot, and he's got something stuck in his throat. Like oh, 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 boy, oh poor investment. Um, like finally gets the word, struggling to get the words. That's out. stereotypical rich white uh, man voice. Is yes, it? like that's okay. literally what that is. All right. Okay, <laughs> it's an American Fair thing. Enough. It's you know because if he's not like a Texas oil man, then like he's that. He's that dude. And he's very weak-willed, isn't he? Because he just gives Pizzazz what she wants. No matter how grandiose her ideas are or how expensive they right. are. Right, because, and that's the thing, what I love about this is that he just buys a movie studio as if movie studios are just up for sale. Like, can you imagine right. him just walking into Warner Brothers and being like, right. I have yeah. $50 million, dollars, give me your movie studio. And then somebody being like, okay. <laughs> <They're not laughs> yeah, because yeah, like movie studios cost like a buck, right? right? There's no negotiations, board meetings. Nobody has to be consulted. It's just like this dude picked up the phone one day and he was like, Ted Turner, get out. <laughs> well, clearly the uh, uh, the limits of his power and, and wealth, no no bounds. So he's he's influential, but they don't really go into it. But they, they kind of, I mean, you do hear him talking about trading oil or selling oil or something like that. So... That's obviously the oil business is is huge. So he's uh, he pretty much seems to have unlimited funds, and he spends at least half of them keeping Phyllis happy. Not even keeping her happy, but just like shutting her up. Just like oh, absolutely. I don't want to listen to you Terrible anymore. Father. So I'll buy you a movie studio. Yeah, it, it gets worse later on in this episode. Much much worse. Oh my god, yes, it does. Oh, I can't wait to get to that part. But uh well so let's let's talk about Starlight Music again. So the famous uh, the famous building uh with uh, three employees. <laughs> um and uh at Starlight Music uh, Howard Sands gives the hologram some unfortunate news. The movie studio has unexpectedly been sold to a new year new owner just like that. Snap of a finger. Oh man. Um <laughs> And of course, uh, Howard Sands and the holograms walk into uh, an office at Starlight Music, and I'm not sure whose office that is. No, no, that's they go to the studio. Was... They're not at Starlight Music. They're, oh, they they're go at to the studio. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. So they walk in and they see Eric Raymond and the Misfits, and they are totally, totally shocked, which I found really, really strange. Um, 
and I'll get to this in a sec, because Eric informs the holograms that the misfits are now the co the new co-stars in the movie. And Eric tells Jem that um, it's amazing what lawyers can do if you pay them enough. That's after she already asked him, like, I thought you were in jail. This was really strange to me. And it seems like they're retconning the previous episode, because if you recall, didn't that already happen, but like differently? Because I remember Eric was by himself and he said the exact same line and then Rio punched Eric, right? Yes. Like that, that literally did just happen in the previous mm-hmm. episode. And, you know, probably it was, you know, when these things aired, they aired so far apart that they felt like they could, you know, they needed to say it again. Um, what do you mean they aired so far apart? They're a week, ap- one episode a well, week? No, 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 but, but not in the, in the beginning. In like the very first time these things aired, the movie came on and then it was way later before the show actually started. Right. Uh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. But it is funny that they say the exact same. <laughs> well, it sounded like the exact same read to me too. Like I was like, did, did Oh, you think they, they kind of like copy yeah, pasted his line cut that out from the last episode or did he practice to make it sound the same? I don't know. I don't know. But of course, Jim doesn't really want to go along with the plans, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Jem and the entire band signed a contract which dictates that uh, they have to comply with whatever the demands. And it is kind of overly simplistic, but the contract states that they basically uh, have to perform. If they fail to perform for whatever reason, then I guess face legal consequences, I, I can only assume. See, they, they won this movie contract in a contest. I mean, I just feel like... There are a lot of things that have been said about like, oh, you have to do this because of a contract. I'm like, do you really have to do it because of that contract? I I feel like this this show is as bad about having things be realistic in terms of like how movies really work as it is about how music really works. <laughs> it's just a mm-hmm. guess. That makes sense. The next day, uh, the holograms arrive on set and uh, Anthony Julian is seen having a very very vocal argument with Eric about sudden overnight script and story changes. I I can totally understand why, because you show up at work, especially on a film with a tight schedule, you do not want to be presented with those kind of changes. And Julian, correct me if I'm wrong, he's the director on this project, Mm -hmm. is he not? At least the current director. Hint, hint, (laughs) we'll get to that later. Next up, the holograms head to the makeup department when Kimber raises an important point. What is Jem going to do when somebody touches her holographic disguise? And so Jem's like, I don't know. Well, we'll th- we'll think of something. No, this this is not a good plan. And, and of course, she doesn't have a plan. She's just like, uh, I got to do my makeup myself. It's like, uh, I'm already mad that there's only th- four makeup people in this entire set. I feel like that's not enough. They're young and beautiful, though, so they don't need much. A little bit of blush. The Misfits barge in demand that they be uh, taken in first. And of course, uh, Aja's enraged uh, and Jem has to hold her back. It looked like she was going to go after them. You, th- you think if, if Jem didn't hold her back that she would have, I don't know, punched one Maybe, of them? Maybe, or tripped them, pulled mm-hmm. their hair. Mm-hmm. The worst part of it is, um, is that on the way out of the, uh, the makeup room, the Misfits fire shots in the direction of the hologram saying that makeup can't do miracles and that they shouldn't be too disappointed. Ooh, Those girls are mean. That hurt. That's gotta hurt. That sounds like something like a like someone in high school would say. That's such a childish comment for a bunch of adults in their twenties. 
I feel like the misfits are not adults. Like they may be yeah. in their twenties. Yeah, twenty. Tw- I I've. They're emotionally yeah. stunted. And I mean, early twenties is not a great time of maturity for most people, anyway. I'm thinking like the age ranges for them are like nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, or something like that. Even though they don't quite look, it's hard to tell the ages, right? Because cartoon. And don't get me wrong, they're they're immature for even being in their early twenties. I'm not like trying to excuse them or anything, but like they're definitely in like the fourteen, fifteen year old range. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So um, and Tempest made a comment about how Jim managed to kind of save the day and. and you know, she told the makeup artist that she, you know, has to do her own makeup. And the makeup artist did not take kindly to this and said that she was clearly a snob, which I can kind of understand. It, it seems kind of diva. Yeah, right? it does. Like make up a holographic makeup person. I don't know something, but yeah. See, pizzazz poisoned her. And then Jim just solidified all the things that she thought about her already. So this is interesting. We're we're getting a new um a new character introduced here, which is Jim's co-star, the handsome Nick Mann, I believe. And uh he introduces himself to Jim while Pizzazz tries to interrupt. Of course it doesn't work. And he just completely ignores Pizzazz's attempts uh for his attention. And uh he asks Jem if uh, they can go somewhere private and rehearse uh their parts. And of course they have a love scene to rehearse. Which is all too convenient for the um, the the sly uh, Nick Man, and uh, very quickly it seems like Nick's charm turns to scummy, at least in my opinion, when he warns Jem that he always falls in love with his leading ladies. <laughs> Jem's like, well, yeah, and I'm sure they always fall in love with you, right? And isn't that super flattering? Like, I've been in five movies and I've always fallen in love with my. Leading lady, and you know, doesn't isn't that romantic? No, totally. Yeah, I honestly, they, they, I think they could have added an additional piece of dialogue that would have just made him be even more gross. He could have said something like, "And Jim, I'm gonna give you the honor of being with me in this scene." Well, it was implied. Yeah, I mean, what what I find weird about this show is that there's always like this really odd relationship dynamics like even outside of whatever's going on with like Jem and Jerica and Rio like this dude who rolls up and he's like I'm the hottest thing ever and oh I'm I always fall in love with my co-stars and oh you can be with me and all this stuff and I'm like what mm, this do kids really act like this I don't know well even he tells Jem like how could they resist <laughs> right like, what is this but what I also find really interesting and and it kind of bothered me when I was a kid too, is that whenever things like this happen and the misfits are around, like Pizzazz goes up to this guy and she's like, I'm your co-star too, whatever. Now Pizzazz isn't ugly. So why is it the dudes are forever being like, ugh, just get away from me. And you know, the same thing. Well, but her personality is, ugly, I guess though. so, but he doesn't know that because he's only met her like two minutes ago. I mean, actually Nick is perfect for Pizzazz. <laughs> they're, they're both assholes. This is true. And so I kind of feel like, there's a lot of like prejudging that goes like basically there's a lot of like very surface, you know, clearly nobody would want to be pizzazz because she's ugly on the inside. It's like, why don't we at least wait till pizzazz actually shows that she's ugly on the inside before people reject her? I mean, and the same sort of thing happens later with like the guy who's hitting on Kimber and like Roxy comes up and hits on him. And he's like, you get away from me. I'm like, Roxy's kind of hot. What are you doing? I mean, like, you know, you can be like, well, 
I'm more attracted to redheads, but that's not what he does. Like he just basically is just like, ooh, Roxy. And Nick does the same thing with Pizzazz. Like, ooh, Pizzazz. Well, you know, I don't know. Like sometimes you can just tell about people though, like the way they walk or, or, or carry themselves. Like it might not be accurate. I'm not saying it's accurate, but like there's this like sense you get from from people and the way they they comport themselves and you mean like a like a negative yeah vibe? like like you just know when the moment yeah, they open like, their mouth they're gonna be like I'm not gonna like right this like person. sometimes um oh I don't know like I'll be at the coffee shop and um you know it'll be 110 degrees outside and I'll have a sweater on and people like give me a weird look and I'm like okay well I obviously like I don't want to associate with you because you're being really judgmental of my sweater you know <laughs> but the air conditioning is mm-hmm. cold like they do like these little things that that kind of accurate or not set like a little expectation i guess of of what they're like overall yeah yeah i could see that so moving on um video aka vivian uh makes her way toward the studio's front gates uh when she's um held up by a security guard who informs her that somebody else has already entered into the uh into the studio using the exact same name and this is the first time that we're introduced to Clash, who I believe eventually becomes a member of the Misfits, right? Well, not really, because she doesn't play an instrument, but she basically hangs okay. around them. But a she's lot. like part of the. She's like a like a. Group. Are you yeah. telling me that or a li- or a the, the, the the wrist symbols are not an instrument? Oh, I was gonna say something about that. My God, that was so <laughs> lame. And she said it as she said her name, like. Oh, that was just embarrassing. Was yeah, I don't bad. think they count as an instrument if you use them as okay. a weapon. Okay. But of course, I mean, Clash has to, um, you know, ingratiate herself upon the Misfits um, and says that she's their biggest fan, which I'm, I'm sure she is. I'm sure there are plenty. I mean, it's kind of, it's you know, that's what everybody says, right? They go up to somebody famous like, I'm your biggest, I'm your number one fan. It's like, yeah, you and the other like 10,000 people that, just talk to me, but um, but of course, Pizzazz has an ever-growing ego that needs feeding, feeding, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, she buys uh, Clash's comments, and they end up, you know, hanging out with each other. And Julian, um, Anthony Julian, tries to kick Clash off the set um, because this is total random stranger that's like appeared on this set which is really a security i mean that aspect it seems realistic to me because if if nobody really recognizes who you are and it doesn't look like you belong on a film set the the security is gonna you know kick you out and you're gonna be in trouble for that so that that aspect was okay i thought Plus, she's noisy you know quiet on the set but she's not gonna be quiet even though anthony tries to kick her off the set eric kind of comes to clash's rescue because now clash is you know she has the the approval of the misfits and this is really weird but pizzazz says that clash is her friend and this is like 30 seconds later after they've met i don't get that fast friends it just seems really strange fast friends it's fast friends it doesn't really take much to please pizzazz if you make some kind of comment that you know um soothes her ego then she's like yeah okay i'll just ha- i'll hang out with you and it's fleeting friendship though as we learned with ashley yeah very true 
uh, this is one of those things where now Eric is kind of a control freak because he's, he's, you know, starting to become in charge of this entire production and insists that, you know, Anthony has to comply with, with his demands and Julian doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, but, uh, that, that's kind of what happens when you have a project run by Eric Raymond, who manages to turn every single thing that he touches into a complete disaster. Well, I, Eric hasn't shown fully how completely useless he is yet, but we're well not we're starting not to see yet. It. But I mean, we're we're starting to see it as he fires Julian. Well, effectively, fires him. Doesn't actually say the words "you're fired," but Julian walks off the project, and Eric's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna, uh, I'll just direct it myself." How hard can it be, right, guys? Mm-hmm. No experience directing a movie can't be that difficult. Just tell people where to go. Yeah, <laughs> can't be that difficult at all. And uh, so we're back at Starlight House now, and Jerrica tells Mrs. Bailey that she's going to take Bonnie to the eye doctor. And uh, shortly after, Jerrica consoles Shayna that everything's going to work out with respect to the movie. I-, I assumed she was upset at the movie. What else could she be upset with at that very moment, right? Right. And uh, that uh, that leads us to our second music video of this episode, which is Jealous by Jim and the Holograms. Uh, what did the two of you think about the video and the song? Well, I never liked this song particularly, uh, but the video is pretty good because, you know, it basically it's one of those where, like, now it's actually a musical where where these things are actually happening. But what I always, like, this, the thing that this song is about, like, it makes no sense. Like, what are you doing, Rio? Stop it. And he's like on fire throughout the video, <laughs> and, and he has very angry eyes. Yeah, did you notice everyone looks like all the men look really evil in this episode? Like both Nick and Rio. Yeah, yeah, but they look like psychopaths. Rio especially does. But but what's even like it's it's actually a really good companion to the who is he kissing? You know what's going on? Who is he kissing? Because okay, so. Jerrica is is like jealous of herself, and now Rio <sighs> is jealous of some other dude. But once again, Rio, you are jealous of this dude, but you are dating two women, mm-hmm. and it's fine. It's fine if you all have a polyamorous understanding that it's not just going to be other people; it's going to just be you. But that, but it's but it feels more like Rio is just being super possessive. Um, mm-hmm. which is not okay. It's not okay, and it's not the first time he's done this. Right, and it won't be the last. <laughs> it won't be the last. And speaking of Rio, uh, Rio and Nick, after the video, get into a scrap, and uh, Eric warns Rio that he's going to have to behave himself, while Pizzazz seems to get a bit friendly with him. She, uh, uh, This is like a, a thing with her. Have you noticed that? Like, she really likes to, like, kind of throw herself at uh, at men, especially attractive men that are more interested in somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's I kind of feel bad for her because it's so sad that she's doing this. Like, it's not really acceptable, acceptable behavior, but I still kind of feel bad because I know just from watching the entire series at this point already, I, I know about her personality and why she is the way she is and why she behaves that way. So I do kind of feel a little bit a little bit of sympathy for her. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Come on, a smidge? Mm. A smidge? 
Give me a switch. <laughs> when they ask me at the end of season three, make a note. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll circle back to that. This is, again, one aspect where I think uh, this is, um, you know, more realistic is the the holograms and the misfits have to participate in a press junket to create buzz about the movie. This And this is a standard thing with all movies. Like, act, this is just a thing that actors and directors and people involved closely with the movie have to do naturally. And um, Nick suggests to Jem that she should play up the obviously false idea that the two of them are romantically involved. And this kind of disgusts Jem. That's the interpretation that I got. Um, but she doesn't kind of outright say it to him. Um, she's obviously not enthused about the, the idea anyway. And uh, Video interviews Jem about uh, what it's like to uh, to be a star in a multi-million dollar film. Uh, and I think, I, I you know, just as an aside, multi-million dollar, that's... <laughs> That really gives you an idea of what era this this was mm-hmm. done in, because like that does not sound like a lot of money today. Right. When movies are now in the hundreds of billions, like you know, like a lot of or hundreds of millions, or if not billions of dollars. Um, so it kind of makes me think that this this movie's like like ten million, maybe, maybe, which is now like in twenty fifteen, a ten a ten million dollar movie is considered an indie film, right? But with inflation. Right. That's true. No, it it does make sense, for sure. But it's hilarious. It's just like, you're the head of a multi-million dollar. It's like, oh, isn't that sweet? Your film costs $10 million. Now, this part really aggravated me because Jem's actually trying to talk to video. And she seems kind of, I don't know if shy is the right word, but she's she's not really, she's not really confident in this moment. And Nick cuts her off before she can finish. And uh, he tells he tells video. Of course, Jem has the benefit of my experience, <laughs> don't you, sweetheart? I really wanted to punch him in the face at that. Moment. <laughs> he is Aww. basically being super quintessential at that moment, like super. And then, like when he like kisses her without her permission, I'm like, oh, yeah, that this? was really Consent really not cool. That is not consensual, sir. But then, what is hilarious is that Kimber is like, ah. Oh, Jim is just leading him on. She needs to stop. And I'm like, oh my, that also is, you know, like, like Kimber, some solidarity here. I know you're upset, but like, and this is a great opportunity for Eric. Uh, and this is not the first time this has happened on previous episodes. Eric is praying like a hawk. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he swoops in to take advantage of the situation. Uh, because Kimber, her self-confidence is its rather lacking. She's quite fragile in that sense. But also super egotistical. Because again, you know, this whole thing where she's like super in trance with Nick and she thinks that she has a chance with him. But there's a really cute guy who's clearly interested in her and who's nice. And she's just like, whatever. Yeah, and she's just ignoring him. But... Uh... Eric is uh, uh, trying to sweet talk her and basically say to her that, you know, Jem is concerned because she knows that Kimber is the real talent of the group. Obviously, I mean, it's been explained in past episodes that Kimber is the the writing talent of the band. 
right? She she composes, she arranges, she writes the lyrics. I mean, Jem just has to show up and be pretty and sing, which sounds slightly disparaging. You know, don't get me wrong, Gemma's a talented singer, but she's not writing the music. So that is a lot more pressure on Kimber. And Kimber, in my opinion, has considerable more music talent as a whole because of those all of the skills that she has to bring to the table, right? Again, very, very big contributor to the group. I mean, really, what would the group be without her at this point? Why yeah, is Kimber but... writing songs like Who Is He Kissing, though? That's a good question. I mean, Kimber's Jerrica's sister, right? So she knows what's going on in her life. So I can only assume that's that's where she gets her, her inspiration Could from. Could be. Okay. Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe uh, maybe Jim or slash Jerrica does have some writing credits. I mean, that's very plausible. I mean, it's very, it's possible. Maybe. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking, right? You, I mean, there's no way that a band goes into rehearse and like, you know, it's, it's, it's very unrealistic to me that, that, er, that there would be one person that would not have some kind of say or influence on how a song turns out. Like, even if you have, like, even if somebody has the writing credits on an album, I guarantee you there's somebody else in that band that influenced the way that that song ended up turning out. Like whether it's just like one chord or the way about like uh, how a progression is going in a song, like changing it from one way to another. Sometimes people might not get a writing credit, but it doesn't mean they had zero influence on that. And there was another comment that I thought was, it frustrated me uh, during that interview with video where, you know, after that whole thing happens with Nick and they end up kissing and stuff like that. Obviously she didn't expect that and took her by surprise, but all Jim really has to say is Nick is very um, helpful. You would think she would be a little bit more upset, but I can kind of understand it. I guess it makes sense in that moment. You would not want to say something awkward or uncomfortable or any you wouldn't want to say anything that could make you look bad when you're in front of that many journalists a banner is revealed that reads the misfits in starbright and a random journalist asks eric and pizzazz about the title since everyone is under the impression that it will you know that this is a gem movie or a movie that's primarily featuring gem and uh uh, Rio apologizes to Jem and claims that uh, he was totally in the dark about the situation, didn't have any idea, and Jem is really not happy um, with that and says, oh, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> Look. Totally not fair. It is not fair. Like, I don't know what is even going on with her treatment of Rio in this episode, but it made no dang sense. Pizzazz seizes the moment to uh, speak with one of the journalists, and she says that... Um, <laughs> Oh, God, this is just so cringeworthy. Her exact comment to the reporter was, she needs us to add pizzazz to her dull movie. Get it? Because I'm pizzazz and we need to add pizzazz to the movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. So bad. None of the journalists clue into that. Right. They're just like, yeah, of course. Sure. That makes tons of sense. Right. Like, yeah. Make, yeah. How journalists sense. are you? Well, they probably just knew her as Phyllis, so they didn't get it. 
uh, speaking of Phyllis, actually, at uh, back at uh, Harvey Gabor's office, Howard Sands storms in and implores Harvey to change his mind about letting Eric Raymond run the movie um, because he has a very bad reputation. And at first, Harvey really isn't paying attention. He's he's not listening at all until Howard says that it could cost him millions and ruin his reputation. Of course, his little head perks up. Oh, money? I could lose money? Oh, that's important. <laughs> oh, man. Like I said, it just gets worse with Mr. that Mr. Gabor is a treasure. I just... <laughs> Absolutely. There's one thing that uh, Mr. Gabor says to, to Sands that I found uh, so disappointing. But uh, he says... I'll tell you something. If it makes my daughter happy and keeps her out of my hair, that's all I need to know. Good day. Mm -hmm. What a terrible father. Yes, he is. There's nothing worse than my daughter trying to spend time with me. Right. So like how, how could she? And so I'm just going to keep her happy by letting her have things and wasting millions of dollars. It seems odd that he's not more concerned for his own reputation because he seemed to perk up at the the idea that he could lose millions, but the fact that his reputation would be damaged, he didn't really seem to hear that comment. I think it's because he, I mean, he may have heard it, but you know, his, his balance is just thinking, well, you know, whatever people won't, yeah, I'll have a bad reputation in the movie industry. Movie industry people are crazy anyway. It's more about keeping his ass happy. If buying a movie studio is something that he can make happen so quickly. Um, you know, he's, he's got a lot of money and, um, as, as our friend Eric likes to point out, um, money can get you places. So, you know, people respect money, unfortunately. So we're back at the movie studio now and, uh, Jim informs Eric that the holograms are ready for their number, but much to their disappointment, the misfits have already started to perform which uh, is a great opportunity to cut to a Misfits video this time called Universal Appeal. And uh, I kind of like this song. I liked it too. Yeah, that's, that's one of my, one of the favorite music, uh, I mean, Misfits songs that I really like. I especially like that they are playing on this really weird set where there's like a mobile going around of like talent, planets and stars and stuff. I think that that was beautifully thought out. I'm not sure how that fits into the plot of the movie that they're making. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know about that. We don't know much about the plot, do we? No, no. Th this whole movie, if you can call it that, just seems like one extended music video. Like, like a very, very loose plot. Very thin plot. Right, because it's, it's something about how there's a guy who's in love with Jem and she is singer and stuff. It's a musical. It's a really corny musical. <laughs> yeah. With bad sets. Like Star Trek the original series bad. Yeah, they're they're bad. They're they're really bad. <laughs> and actually, can I just say something about Jem, both Jem and the Holograms and the Misfits? Uh, songs in general because I, I i want to make a clear delineation between catchy and good songs because i think all of the songs that we've heard so far are catchy i don't want to confuse catchy with being good because i think a song can have a good hook and be catchy 
And it's and, and it can be one of those songs that, you know, you, you just hear on loop in your head and you can't get it out, but it doesn't mean that the song is necessarily good. That's true. I have an yeah, embarrassing number of number of songs in my iTunes library that are not really all that good, but they get stuck in my head. And uh, so after the music video is over, uh, Gem and Pizzazz get into a bit of a battle um, on the set of the music video. And Gem pronounces that she is going to quit the project and the rest of the holograms uh, follow suit. And the misfits, including Clash, celebrate, of course, um, that they're leaving the project. And why wouldn't they? Because now they are the official stars of this project. <laughs> I like how they go with a can of spray paint. <laughs> they're just like spray painting. Yeah, they're like they're they're spray painting the, the I think the what was it the part of the sign that said with the holograms or and the yeah. holograms at the very bottom a tiny print. Yeah, just like black spray paint on this pink banner. Fix it in post. It'll be fine. I thought I remember seeing champagne. Weren't they drinking something? Alcohol isn't that a thing now with like kids' cartoons? You can't you can't have people drinking alcohol even though they don't they they don't say it's alcohol but. Stuff like smoking and alcohol, I think. Those are two things that are kind of revolten. That could be. At this point, this is kind of a, a bit of a downer to this episode, and this this will lead us into part two next week. So stay tuned for that. But uh, back at the ophthalmologist, the doctor gives some unfortunate news and very sad news to Jerrica that Bonnie has a degenerative eye condition uh, which likely was inherited from her parents, and Jem makes comment, well, we don't really know much about her parents or if anything at all. And the doctor says that within, within a matter of months or perhaps weeks, Bonnie will be blind. And it ends right there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come back uh, next week and, and talk about that. It should be interesting. But let's talk a little bit about trivia. Uh, last episode didn't have that many points, but this episode... There are about four different points uh, in, in in this episode, which I found interesting. Just mistakes and, and other weird oddities throughout the episode. So I'll, I'll just kind of uh, go through them here. Um, so Roxy and Stormer seem to be mind-boggled about how wealthy Pizzazz's family is. Huh? Right. Have they not seen the house? Like, they saw the size of the house. They're in the house. How, I don't... How could you be confused about that? Do you think she ever let them in that house before? Heck no. She didn't want those people in her house. Um, so, and a couple of other things. Now, th this is something I didn't notice, but this is just something I picked out from the Gem Wiki. Uh, that in this episode, it's filled out with extra scenes and or partially reanimated scenes. Um, sometimes I notice those those kind of things. I didn't notice them in this episode. Did either of you catch any of those kind of egregious animation mistakes or or obvious reusing of certain things? I, I no, I didn't. No, the only big animation mistake I caught is that um, in the scene where Jem comes in and all the holograms are really depressed about how the movie is going, and she's like, "It'll be okay. Like things can't get any worse. Fine, and they have to get better." When you first when that you first enter that scene, Kimber's hair is pink. It's the same pink as like the stripes on her outfit. Yeah, that that happens a lot, and we've talked about that before. I still can't believe they're making that mistake over and over again. What does it deal with that? And uh, during congratulations, when Pizzazz pushes Jem away from Rio, Jem's tights are suddenly missing <laughs> for a brief moment. That happens with tights sometimes. Where they just like they vaporize. Just, yeah. yeah, sometimes yeah. they just go away, and then maybe yeah. they come back. Yeah. 
And uh, just one one last thing here. Um, when the misfits are getting their makeup and hair done, Stormer's uh, entire left arm is pink, just like her top. Nice. Yeah, sometimes I notice those things, but when they if they if they're in there for like, I don't know, like a frame or something, sometimes it's tough to to notice those. Maybe maybe one of the other misfits gave her. Like, I don't know what you call it. So the politically incorrect term when I was growing up was Indian burn, where you, you like grab someone's arm and you like rub it until it burns and turns pink. I wish I knew a not horrible term for that. I'm very curious about the, um, the creation of that, that expression. It's awful. I actually completely wiped it from my memory until you mentioned it just now. So thanks. Well, any other closing thoughts from either of you on part one, episode six? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is she going to go blind? Is she going to get like Jordy's visor? That would be awesome. If she got Jordy's visor. I just really want to know what the plot of this movie is supposed to be. It's really super undefined for me. And it's making making it hard for me to like want to fight for it. Because like, maybe you should fight for a movie that has a plot. That makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Spend a little bit more and get some writers. Right, right. And then, you know, I... Once again, like all these relationship issues, it's very, I feel like that is why there's so many people who think that like Rio was cheating on Jem because I feel like it's very confusing the message that you're sending that like Rio can have two girlfriends or at least what he thinks are two girlfriends. But if Jem like is in a scene with a guy, Rio is so violently jealous that he punches this guy out and that. You know, and and even though like Jim gets really mad at him, she gets mad at him for like wrong things. Like gets mad at him for maybe being part of like the reveal of the banner for the mistress, whatever. But like, that's not the problem. <laughs> it's, no. but it, and it does feel like Rio is is dealing with a double standard where he's like, but you can't look at other men, even on film and acting. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad to hear that that this this problematic thing is not going to happen in the movie um so they've said uh, because i i just it's really bizarre yeah it is it's really weird and i don't know i feel like it just it messes up kids conceptions of like what is appropriate for relationships mm-hmm. it's not appropriate to hit a man for being in a in a scene with your lady. I don't know. My entire life has been ruined by this show. <laughs> your love map is completely messed up. Well, uh, anyways, everyone's going to have to come back next week because I'm, I'm dying to see what, what's happened in the next episode. I, I honestly cannot remember, even though I watched all three seasons just like a couple months ago. It's, it's all but vanished from my memory. The great movie plot point is gone. I want to think that maybe the movie took a turn for the worse in the plot department after <laughs> Eric or whoever decided to re because that script script was rewritten like overnight it seems right because Anthony was pissed off about that yeah on that note Aline where can people find you oh um I'm on Twitter at Aline that's A L E E N and I also have a podcast I do every week called Less Than or Equal where I talk to cool people about the projects they're doing and that's at less than or equal dot com. Um, and you can also find that account at, uh, on Twitter at less than or equal. And I think you forgot something. Don't you have a really awesome Patreon where people can donate and support your cause? Oh, I do have a Patreon. 
I do. So I do have a Patreon, um, and that's at patreon.com slash Aline, A-L-E-E-N. And Tempest, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at tinytempest or on Tumblr at ktempest.tumblr.com. Um, or you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash ktempestbradford. And that's it for this week. We will see you at episode seven. Episode seven.